0: So, we are wrapping up our rhythm and flow series today. Over the last month, we have been asking how we can move towards a Christ centered, spirit filled existence. And we've been examining the rhythm and flow that God has designed for us to continuously move in His direction. Um, we have been exploring this concept of Sabbath, that God has created rest. For His people. And I need to just pause right here (laughs) and say um, that I am not up here preaching uh, this morning because I have this all figured out. All right. I am as much a part of this community um, today as I am every other day. And and despite the fact that I have the microphone, um, I will be uh, swimming in the conviction along with the rest of you all this morning. Okay. So just to review, after six days of creating the world, God rested from his work on the seventh day, not because he was tired, um, but because he was finished. He was done, his mission was complete, he had accomplished what he set out to do, and now we as the people of God are invited to cease from our self-justifying works because God in flesh, Jesus Christ Christ, Um, has finished the work of justifying us on the cross. And now we're invited into this eternal, everyday rest from trying to earn our own righteousness. And in our examination of the Old Testament, um, earlier in this series, we saw that God actually commands his people to pause every seven days, just like he did when he was creating the world. And this is because we are very forgetful people, okay? (laughs) The, the, The entirety of scripture is about the forgetfulness of God's people. And so we actually need every seven days to stop and remember who he is, And who we are what he's done for us and how that changes who we are and though a lot of um, religions have turned the sabbath into some kind of legalistic burden the concept of sabbath is actually a gift for us it's a life-giving gift that needs to be reclaimed as a, a consistent practice in our lives It's literally divine permission to take a sacred vacation every single week, okay? How awesome is that? He is an awesome God. Um, So so over the last month, has anyone felt um, convicted at any point or had a moment where they've said to to yourself or or your partner, um, I'm definitely going to rest more, (laughs) Or I definitely need to try to pray more. Uh, and my question this morning is, so how is that going for you? Awkward pause. Okay, so really, but I'm serious though. How is it going for you? Um, are, you are you actually resting more? Are you actually praying more? This is a totally a judgment-free zone. And the only reason I'm asking is because, When I make these kind of statements and I don't actually have a plan for how I'm going to change, I don't find myself actually changing. Okay? Let's get into the scriptures. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11. This has been um, our go-to passage um, throughout this series. In the English uh, Standard Version, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So what comes to mind when you think of the word rest? tell you what comes to mind for me. I imagine flopping down on the couch (laughs) um, at the end of a really long day. Some other images that maybe come to mind, maybe uh, swinging lazily on a hammock with a book that I'm just thinking about reading, maybe not actually reading. Um, Or maybe, uh, maybe ordering a pizza because you're too tired to cook and you want someone else to do that, need a little break. Um, At my house, we don't actually eat a lot of pizza, but we sure do love Louisiana Creole gumbo. My boys have shortened the name to just Louisiana, (laughs) and um, I'll just give a shameless plug. Fonz gets to talk about fried chicken all the time, so I'm going to give a shameless plug for the, the red beans and rice with the double side of collards and the extra cornbread. You get two of those meals, and it will feed your whole family for less than $20 in less than 20 minutes. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> and all you moms out there are welcome for that tip. Okay. Um, all right. But I want to I focus on verse 11 this morning. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Does it seem ironic to anyone that the writer is telling us we, we actually have to strive <laughs> to enter rest? Does that seem ironic to anyone? Some of the other translations, the, the new, um, new International Version, instead of the word strive, it says make every effort. Um, the New King James Version says be diligent to enter this rest. And those words that be diligent, make every effort, strive, they really don't strike me as this kind of haphazard, flopping down sort of rest that I, I generally think of when I think of rest. And, and I feel burdened this morning to remind us um, of the kind of world that we live in, since we're a forgetful people and everything. So since the fall of man, let's remember that the highest values for humankind have been power and profit. And if any political, social, or commercial agenda can successfully capture your attention and your desires, it has the ability to profit from your soul and wield power over your life. And you need to remember this morning, we need to remember this morning that our time Our habits, fascinations, our ideals, our hopes, our cravings, these are all valuable resources that are being voraciously hunted day and night. You see, our generation is is obsessed with this idea of a life without limits. We've decided in our generation that no one, not even our creator, can define what our gender will be, or how we will relate sexually to other humans, or what will become of any life that we procreate in the process. We thrash against the limitations of weather, of daytime and nighttime, of distance on the globe. We thrash against seasons of life. We're doing everything we can to try to stay younger longer, to have kids later, have a full career, full social life and a full family all at the same time. We want it all, we want all the experiences. We want to visit every country, try every new hobby, watch every new show that comes out. We've become inseparable from These devices that are able to simultaneously keep us connected to all kinds of people all over the planet. And yet, even though the sky's the limit is this kind of mantra chanting in the background, um, the common consensus is that we are the loneliest, most anxious, most depressed generation that the earth has seen yet. Yet. And despite a lot of nice claims from, you know, most companies and organizations that they care about your well-being, the truth is, if you are tired, you are much more likely to convert, uh, purchase items that will make your life more convenient. And if you stay tired, <laughs> you are far more likely to keep buying those things, right? Your fatigue is actually the key to their profits, And if you're distracted, you are more easily influenced. If you're anxious, you're more susceptible to falling for anything that promises relief and peace. If you're addicted, well, great, your bank account's already locked in. And here we are, family, in 2022, people who are called Christians, followers of the way of Jesus, We've decided that we aren't going to value profit or power, but instead we're going to um, stand in opposition to all the forces of the entire world around us and value love and humility instead. And we've got this, this sacred text here full of words directly from love incarnate himself, and that is, um, that's pretty compelling, to say the least. We treasure the word of God as a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. And we, we hide his word in our hearts so that we will not sin. Um, I don't know about you, but the scriptures, um, they actually don't tell us specifically how to use a smartphone. They don't mention social media. Um, they don't tell you which apps are appropriate for Christians to use and which ones aren't. Um, they, don't, they don't tell you where to shop and what's uh, good to buy and what's not. Um, they, don't, they don't really tell you how to use every minute of your time. And um, they, don't, they don't even directly address some of the major ideologies that are swirling around in our culture today. So thank God there's this other gift he gave us. <laughs> the actual spirit of God himself who comes to dwell in our hearts and illuminate the scriptures and make them relevant to our lives today. The Spirit of God leads us into all truth and brings to our remembrance the things that Jesus said when he walked on the earth. And and the Spirit of God actually gives us power over our sinful desires that we may experience. And, And he also gives us supernatural gifts to be able to heal the sick. And to show radical hospitality and and to speak in unknown languages and to know all kinds of things that we could never know with our own brains. And that is all very awesome. There is one catch. (laughs) And that is in order for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be effective in our lives and to safeguard us against the wolves that are prowling around seeking to swallow us up in their insatiable desire for power and profit, we actually have to stay aware of him and surrender to him at all times. Which, I don't know about you, but given that my, my time and attention and habits and fascinations and ideals and hopes and cravings and desires are all being targeted night and day, whew, I need a plan for resistance, okay? And I need some holy determination, okay? As I, as I was writing this message, um, I could see in my mind's eye footage that I've seen from the 1960s when some very brave young men and women um, decided to resist the evil of their day and their time by sitting at a lunch counter where they were not wanted because of the color of their skin and refusing to move, okay? And in this particular footage that I I remember seeing, um, the young people that were sitting there, they were sitting resolute and determined Uh, But there was nothing calm or casual about that lunch counter. In fact, um, they were actually surrounded by a crowd of people on every side who were yelling insults and throwing punches and throwing milkshakes and fries in their faces and all kinds of chaos was swirling around them. But they were not acknowledging any of it. They did not allow any of that chaos to derail them. They had come to sit and they were going to sit, (laughs) and they sat deliberately and intentionally. And it just really struck me that their resistance was was this sitting posture. Um, And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, Some of us need to stop thinking about the Sabbath as a nice option for super spiritual Christians and start thinking about the call to pause as an act of resistance against power and profit, as a stand against the fury of sin and as power that we have in the face of raging evil. Okay, the sit-ins in the 60s, they started with four students, um, but within three months time, There was actually over 50,000 students that had participated in similar demonstrations. And and everything I've um, read about those events is, it wasn't actually a haphazard event, all right? There was a lot of deliberation and intentionality um, in those protests. And it was the same thing with with Rosa Parks and the launch of the, the bus boycott. Yes, she was tired, that's her famous line, right? She was tired, but it wasn't that that particular day she suddenly lost her ability to get up on her feet. No, she sat on purpose. (laughs) She sat as an act of defiance against a system that was robbing her of her dignity. She sat knowing that she had um, a community of like-minded people who were prepared to resist right along with her. About 1,500 years ago, There was a guy named um, Saint Benedict. Perhaps you've heard of him. He's uh, one of the more famous monks. And Benedict realized that the spiritual life was something to be worked at, not something just to be hoped for. At the time of the Western imperial court of Rome, um, it had been formally dissolved, and Italy was uh, being ruled by Germanic kings. There was war all around, urban order was collapsing, material culture was regressing, civilization was gasping in this long post-imperial tidal recession. It was just a time of total chaos. And he saw the need to spell out in very specific ways what it would mean to follow the ways of Jesus in the everyday life of believers. So he actually composed a list of 73 rules, which came to be known as the rule of Saint Benedict. Um, And it really was, was simply a handbook to make the very radical demands of the gospel a practical reality in daily life. He recognized believers actually need a spiritual pathway that's not littered by weird and unusual practices, okay? Um, but rather all that is needed to be faithful to finding God in the ordinary circumstances of of daily life. And in many centuries since, Christians all over the world um, have laid hold of this practice of working together with the Holy Spirit to develop for themselves a rule of life, a plan for how to follow Jesus in their everyday life, and a structure for growing in obedience. Now, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and bet that some of you listening this morning may have some baggage associated with the word rule. <laughs> Is anyone feeling triggered right now? Um, I already mentioned we live in this generation that's seeking to remove all limitations, right? Okay. So let me add just a little more context here. The Latin word that we translate as rule um, was originally the word for a trellis In a vineyard. Now, those of you that know me know that I can't let a sermon go by without working in some kind of farming illustration, (laughs) so here you go. Brace yourselves, all right? Um, Has anyone ever grown a tomato plant? Right? Even even my city folks, a lot of y'all grow tomato plants. Um, To grow a strong and healthy tomato plant um, that has really good fruit, You really need some kind of structure to hold the plant up. Um, So, I don't know, I, I had a picture that I was going to show you that was going to show up on the screen, but it's not there. I was about to point to the picture, but it's not there. So, but a lot of you, this is a pretty common thing, all right? There's like this cage, this round cage-looking structure with spikes on the bottom, and you stick it in a pot or in your garden bed, and the plant grows up inside the cage, and the and the, um, the edges of the cage kind of hold the plant up and support it up. Um, This is not just a good theory. I'm saying this from experience, okay? So this last summer, I had two huge beds in our garden full of tomato plants, and I actually ran out of tomato cages. So one box, um, all the plants were supported by these trellises, and the other box, I didn't have enough cages, so I just didn't use them, and I just let the plants do whatever they want. And um, sure enough, the plants that had the trellises around them grew super tall, like almost as tall as me, um, had thousands of tomatoes on them. And the plants that did not have the cages were sprawling all over the pathways, constantly getting stepped on. The, the tomatoes were so heavy that they, um, they would just sink, you know, kind of weigh and sink down to the ground and the bottoms would rot before they would actually get ripe. And um, you, could, you could totally tell just by looking at the two beds that one was, was vibrant and healthy and producing lots of fruit and the other bed was not. Okay? Now, if you, uh, if you were a tender, young tomato plant, and someone told you, I'm going to put a cage around you, you would probably freak out, right? Okay? Um, but here's the encouragement from the Lord this morning, those, for those of you that are terrified by the thought of rules and plans and discipline, okay? Okay? Here's the encouragement. You are a living, growing, fruit-bearing being who needs structure to grow tall and bear all the good fruit that you were designed to bear, okay? A trellis doesn't confine you. You weren't going anywhere anyways. A tomato plant's roots are in the ground. It's not getting up and running around. My plants that didn't have trellises, they weren't going anywhere anyways. A trellis actually... It's not holding you back, it's holding you up. It's holding you up so that you can keep climbing up and up and keep bearing more fruit. The truth is, even if you don't like the sound of rules, you you already have a rule of life, okay? All of us have some set of beliefs and practices that are ruling our time and our schedules, whether we acknowledge them or not. But there's an opportunity to be intentional and work with the Holy Spirit to create a rule of life for ourselves. And and let me just reiterate, Christians have been practicing this and writing about this for many centuries. I can in no way do justice to this concept in one short sermon this morning, okay? This little pep talk here today is really just to exhort you to further explore this concept. If you have not already, or if it's a concept you're already familiar with, to re-engage this concept. Um, I'm not here to tell you what your rule is going to be. Uh, my hope today is that you will just realize how much you need one, okay? <laughs> um, I, I've personally found the work of, um, of John Mark Comer, he's a pastor out in Portland, to be really helpful to me. Um, he does a, a fantastic job of synthesizing history and modern research and and um, and 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 the scriptures, synthesizing those things together um, to articulate why and how we need a rule of life. Um, There's a book that he wrote recently called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Some of you are probably laughing because if you're close to me, you've heard me talk about this all year long. It's one of the only books that I've listened to over and over on repeat because it's that good and because I am that desperate, okay? Um, I I highly recommend you... uh, Get that book and read it or listen to it. Okay. So traditionally, a rule of life um, usually includes a list of daily, weekly, and monthly spiritual practices. And it may include um, a practice like Sabbath, um, solitude and silence, prayer and worship, devotion to Scripture. Uh, St. Benedict's original rule, uh, he actually had the the monks in his monastery stopping for prayer at the same time seven times a day. Um, one of those was in the middle of the night. all right this guy was serious about redirecting his attention to Jesus um, and they didn't have nearly the amount of distractions then as we do now, um, but they were serious about redirecting their attention to Jesus. A rule of life often includes Um, a a schedule or set of practices that will safeguard our emotional health, our financial health, our physical health, relationships, our mission. Um, As I mentioned earlier, St. Benedict's rule actually was 73 points long. Um, I I spent a lot of time this week reading over different people's um, rules of life just to get some ideas, and trust me, none of them were 73 points long. Um, But he gives us something to aim for, right? Um, I want to I share just a few thoughts this morning um, that have been standing out to me as I've been reading and wrestling with this idea of creating a trellis for my spiritual life, something that will keep me close to the heart of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. So my first thought is that a rule of life should bring you to the feet of Jesus. There's a lot out there in the world right now about how to make yourself your better you okay? This is not what I'm talking about. Crafting a rule of life is very different than just setting some self-improvement goals. The whole point of a rule of life is actually to counteract the unbelief and disobedience that's always reaching out to suck us away from trust and dependency on the Lord. Remember that verse we read a few minutes ago? Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He's referring to the disobedience of the Israelites who who gave up their trust in the Lord. And this is where we really need the partnership of the Holy Spirit in our striving and making every effort to enter that rest. As As you set out to craft a rule of life, ask the Holy Spirit, what does my unbelief look like? Where is my disobedience causing me to fall short of entering that rest that God has established for me? How can I exercise discipline to make every effort to enter that rest? And you know what? The Holy Spirit is a perfect counselor. He is our perfect helper. He knows our thoughts, our motivations, what makes us tick. He knows our unique personalities and giftings and our home life and what it means to live in the city of Detroit and 2022, okay? He, he knows us, and he knows exactly what our trellis or our structure should look like. My second thought is that a rule of life um, needs to be specific. I feel like I need to say that again. A rule of life should be specific, okay? Worship more is not specific, Uh, An example of something more specific would be like, I am going to use the time um, on my commute every single morning, driving from my house to work, I'm going to use that time to sing out loud praises to God every morning. That would be very specific, okay? Um, Having a goal of resting more is not specific. More specific would be, I'm going to go to bed at 10 p.m. and I'm going to use an old school alarm clock so I don't have my phone next to my bed tempting me to keep me awake at night. Okay. Do you, do you kind of get the picture here? A rule of life should be something really specific to you and to your um, weaknesses and bents towards sin. Um, okay, next, a rule of life should be attainable. So a rule of life should include things that are actually attainable for you right now, where you are in your journey with the Lord. I do not recommend... I do recommend reading St. Benedict's Rule. I read it this week, it was very inspiring. But I don't recommend um, trying to adopt his rule of life for your own because it's not even gonna make sense for your life right now, okay? Um, You want to set um, goals that that will stretch you but are still within reach, right? So for example, if you're feeling convicted about the amount of noise that's in your life right now and God's been speaking to you about having more silence but you've never practiced silence in your life, It may be a little unrealistic to say, I'm going to sit in silence for an hour every day. That is a great aspiration, but maybe you need to start with like 10 minutes or 15 minutes, okay? Start with something that's attainable. And on that note, my next point is that a rule of life should be revisited often, all right? So a rule of life is not something that you just write down once and call it good for the next decade. You are a living organism and, and you're constantly growing. And so as you grow, the structure that supports you needs to grow and accommodate your spiritual growth in each season. So what stretches you right now, hopefully isn't gonna be what stretches you two months from now, right? Um, every season, season should lead us to greater surrender, greater trust, and more dependency on the Holy Spirit. So I really recommend um, revisiting your rule often. Actually, what comes to mind, another farming illustration. I'm sorry, you just just hang in there with me. This summer, I'm really excited about building potato boxes. So you build a box that you plant potatoes in, and as the plant grows, you actually add boards to the box every week or so as the plant gets a little taller and a little taller and a little taller. So by the end of the summer, you have this super tall box that's totally full of potatoes, and the plants are coming out the top. So this would be like a growing trellis. This is, this is, this is going to be what my rule of life is like, all right? So, so before Miles and I um, began to learn about the history and value of a rule of life, we used to make these 60-day goals. And I'm just throwing this out there because I felt like um, revisiting... Uh, a rule of life every month was just a little too short for me personally. There's a lot of research out there about um, it taking 60 days to form new habits in you and we felt like 60 days was a really good amount of time to, to give us um, time to actually make some changes and be ready to, to think about new changes again. So take it or leave it, but just, throw, just throwing that out there. Um, I do wanna, I do wanna um, pause and speak to my mom friends out there and just be brutally honest with you and say that creating a rule of life as a mother with small children um, is, uh, is complicated, but we have the same Holy Spirit that everybody else does, and he knows us and all of our kids, right? And, um, and, and I was wrestling with this last night, actually, so I'm like, man, I'm getting up there to talk about a rule of life, and that my time with Jesus has been so short this week. I had a baby that was throwing up every single day this week. Not kidding, not exaggerating, I'm not exaggerating, I cleaned up puke at least 20 times this week, and almost every single one of those times she threw up on me, okay? So just imagine how many showers and how many loads of laundry that was. Um, and and I, I'm just in this place where I don't get a ton of time by myself, even my best efforts to get up early in the morning. My kids wake up early. Baby, who knows when she's going to wake up. And, um, and so for this season, for me right now, um, I've decided I have to include my kids in my spiritual practice. Um, if you did not get a chance to listen to the family panel we did on Friday night, um, I encourage you to go back and find that on our YouTube channel. Some um, just great encouragement from moms and dads who are in the thick of it and moms and dads who have already, already raised their kids. Um, but, but man, I can't not be in the Word just because I don't have a quiet room. And so lately, honestly, my go-to has been in the word. And when the kids are climbing all over me, I read to them too. <laughs> and I pray and drag them into prayer with me. And, and Javon, Jason, shared this beautiful picture of, of her time in the morning when her boys get up and, her, and just pulling them close and including them in their time of prayer. And I want to encourage you not to just give up on time with God during this season, if it's, a, if it's a difficult season with young children, don't just give up on time with God. Still go for it. And if it's a little messy and you had to wipe four noses and clean up a poopy diaper in the middle of it, like, it's okay. Um, and your kids are going to see that and they're going to be drawn into it. And 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 don't wish these years away either. That was the advice that um, Norflet gave us on Friday night, was don't wish these years away. Um, I, I heard some encouragement this week, um, actually from... From John Mark Comer, the pastor that I mentioned earlier, talking about um, parents with small children. He said, you know, in the monastery, they had this bell that rang for the seven calls to prayer. And he said, when you have small kids in the home constantly asking you for things, they're like the ball, bells in the monastery, right? Um, the bells in the monastery were, were the signal to the monks that they needed to stop whatever they were doing. Um, and it was this reminder that their life was not their own, that their time didn't belong to them. And um, he was just encouraging parents, you know, your children's needs are your constant reminder that your life is not your own (laughs) and to stay surrendered to Jesus. And I found that so encouraging to me this week and and wanted to share that um, for those of you that find it relative. uh, relative. So, um, and my last point here is that a rule of life should simplify your life. Um, Let me reiterate here that a rule of life is different than a list of goals okay you're not just adding good things to your life most of us are doing too much already so i'm going to advocate that a rule of life in 2022 should actually include um, removing things from your life not just adding things removing things Um, it, it should slow you down so if you decide that you know, man, I really, I really want to give my lunch break to reading scripture, that probably means you need to get rid of whatever else you were doing on your lunch break already because you're not just magically going to get a longer lunch break. So if you were spending your lunch, you know, playing Candy Crush or checking on ESPN, maybe you need to delete those things, right? If, if, I, if you know you need to dedicate an hour of, of, of prayer and meditation in the morning, that means an hour of something else has got to go because you're not getting an extra hour in your day so whatever you're adding to, you gotta cut something else out, right? I mean, just, just think about what it takes when you wanna embrace healthier eating habits. Like, you can go out and buy the fruits and vegetables and put them on the counter, but the truth is, if you don't throw the Doritos and the Oreos and everything else out, <laughs> you're not gonna have space in your body and in your kitchen for the good, okay? Um, what, what are some ways that you can simplify your life I mean, minimalism is a really popular topic right now. Um, There's a lot of blogs. I've read a lot of them. I've done some of the challenges. Um, The truth is that Jesus was calling people to a life of simplicity way before minimalism ever became a buzzword, okay? Um, Besides the fact that, that none of our piles of stuff have any eternal value whatsoever, managing all of our stuff takes so much time. Um, and, and there's just, there's hundreds of blogs out there that you can read about how to minimize and simplify, but none of them can really say it as good as the way Jesus did, right? I was reading um, Mark 9 with my boys the other night, and this is what Jesus said If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled. and I think it's kind of easy to read this passage and just shrug it off as like, whoa, it's kind of extreme, kind of gross, um, moving on, and really miss the weight and the severity of this passage and miss that it, it has, actually it's still relevant today. Okay, This isn't some like ancient idea. This is a relevant idea. We use our hands and feet today for very different things than people used a few thousand years ago when Jesus said this. All right, here's my 2022 version of this passage. If the device in your hand (laughs) is causing you to be less, uh, causing you to be more distant from God, to wallow in anxiety over news, to be less loving to your children, to be less responsive to your spouse, to be addicted to porn and gambling, to question the goodness of God, to be consumed by self-image, to self-medicate with one-click shopping, to be distracted by shorts, uh, sports, or shorts, either one, to, uh, to clutter our minds with gossip and slander. We need to cut it off. We need to cut it off. It is better to enter life deviceless than to go to the unquenchable fire of hell with an iPhone 13 in our hands. That is what Jesus is saying. I, iPhone 13 Pro is what I'm hearing. I actually, I actually don't have an iPhone. I had to Google what is the latest iPhone number to write this message. And I broke Fawn's heart. Okay. Um, so, good people. Do you feel it? We need a rule of life. We need a practical plan to keep our hearts heading in the direction of Jesus every hour of the day. We need that plan to be specific. We need it to be attainable, not some lofty ideal. It needs to be attainable. We need to revisit it and revise it often. We need this rule to simplify our lives so that we can actually live for one thing. Here is my last thought here, and it's about discipline. So two years ago, I started working with a physical trainer because I was um, tired of being in constant discomfort. I had some pain in my lower back, and I wanted to be able to move freely, unrestricted, the way that my body, you know, was designed by God to move. And from this trainer, I learned um, that I actually had really poor posture and poor body mechanics. And um, he began to teach me Uh, what proper posture and proper body mechanics look like. And so I've learned a lot of rehabilitative exercises to be able to correct um, my posture and proper mechanics. And um, after a session this week, I I was talking with a trainer and I felt the Holy Spirit tapping me on the shoulder and say, pay attention, because what he's telling you is is for the message this week. And guess what? Learning that I had bad posture um, isn't actually enough to bring me freedom. Observing how to have better posture isn't enough to bring me freedom. Learning, I actually have to learn these rehabilitative exercises that are totally foreign to to the way that I normally move. And I have to make a plan of how and when I'm going to do these exercises And then, if I ever want the proper mechanics to become second nature, if I ever want rest to be pain-free, if I ever want to move freely without restriction, I have to be devoted to retraining my body to move the way that it was designed to move. I actually have to practice these motions over, and over, and over, and over, and over. I have to make every effort. I have to be diligent. See, the thing is, discipline sounds awful. Right? It sounds restrictive, but discipline is actually the pathway to freedom. My husband, I just have to brag on him for a second, he has had a a personal revolution in his life as he has embraced discipline over the past couple of years, and I've watched him emerge from um, a decade-long battle of depression into some real freedom. And he, as he's just made every effort to abandon the disobedience of unbelief and enter the rest that God has for him. And as I was preparing this message, I said, okay, babe, I, I can see that discipline has radically changed your life and walk with the Lord. What do you want God's people to know? And the first thing he said was, I never regret being disciplined. He said, I, I often regret not getting up to exercise or spend time with God in the morning, but I never regret when I have done those things. Um, And then he reminded me that one of the turning points for him in his journey was when he made a list of the top 10 things he wanted most in life. And next to it, he made a list of the top 10 ways that he was spending his time. And the challenge then, of course, was to realign Um, what he was pursuing with where he actually wanted to be. And he started saying to himself every day, where desire was, (laughs) effort and expectation will be. So instead of just being totally absorbed in sorrow and regret about where he wasn't, he decided to rechannel that same energy into actually pursuing who it was that God was asking him to be. It is high time for us to arise from sleep. Let us open our eyes to the light that comes from God and our ears to the voice from heaven that every day calls out this charge. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. And again, you have ears to hear. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And what does he say? Come, listen to me, sons. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Run while you have the light of life, that the darkness of death may not overtake you. Seeking his workmen in a multitude of people, the Lord calls out to him and lifts his voice again. Is there anyone here who yearns for life and desires to see good days? If you hear this and your answer is, I do, God then directs these words to you. If you desire true and eternal life, keep your tongue free from vicious talk and your lips from all deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Let peace be your quest and your aim. Once you have done this, my eyes will be upon you and my ears will listen for your prayers. And even before you ask me, I will say to you, here I am. What, dear brothers? What, dear brothers, is more delightful than this voice of the Lord calling to us? See how the Lord in his love shows us the way of life. Clothed then with faith and the performance of good works, let us set out on this way with the gospel for our guide, that we may deserve to see him who has called us to his kingdom. I thank you for the blood and I thank you for your body that was spilled for us. There's nothing more delightful than your voice calling to us. Thank you for showing us the way of life. Thank you for your love. <laughs> thank you for that rod and your staff that that comforts us and kicks the wolves away and keeps us close to you. We fix our eyes on you today, Jesus, and, and determined to pursue you at all costs, determined to sit and resist the chaos of the world, to resist the, the power of evil around us and trust that in our in our sitting and in our deliberating and in our diligence that you will meet us again and again and again and again and again. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.